Good morning and happy Sabbath. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be here. It's always a joy to come to Garland Faith Community SDA Church. I've enjoyed it throughout the years, um, about 20 years now, coming in different capacities, first as youth director and coming on the Pathfinder Sabbaths and youth Sabbaths and later on as vice president and, and now as conference president several times have enjoyed coming here and worshiping. You always feel like you've worshiped when you've been here in this church. So thank you for lending yourselves to God to create that environment. I bring you greetings from three people and I have to do it because they have their ways of finding out if I did or not. So I uh, bring you greetings first and foremost from my wife, Leti. She um, looks forward to going with me to the different churches, but during the pandemic, she's only been out one Sabbath being cautious because she has an underlying condition, which is bronchial and asthma. And so the doctor has told her to be careful and to limit um, her out and about. But she sends her greetings to you this morning. And then our conference secretary, Elder David Montoya, I believe he's been here, right? And um, he wanted me to make sure that I gave his greetings to you today as well. And our conference treasurer, Elder Randy Terry, he would be thrilled to hear the report that was given during the offering appeal about how God has blessed the church and uh, financially, even in the midst of this pandemic. God is good. He's good. I was thinking as I was driving over this morning that it seems like every time I come, I come in the aftermath of a storm. I remember one of the last times that I came and preached, it was right after Harvey, Hurricane Harvey in Houston, and I preached a, a sermon in reference to the storm. And today I come in the aftermath of another winter storm this time. And I thought, why don't I share some thoughts from the Word of God about what we experienced with this horrible winter storm that hit Texas. So let's bow our heads and ask the Holy Spirit to direct our thoughts today. Father in heaven, we come before you with humble hearts, grateful for life, for health, for strength, for the commodities that we have, we are so grateful that you have helped each one in different ways, in different manners. And this morning, as we open your word for a few minutes, we request the presence of the divine teacher, the Holy Spirit, so that the words and thoughts that we hear not come from this human being, but may they come directly from you. And may it be entirely your word we hear today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Job chapter 38, verses 29 and 30. Job chapter 38, verses 29 and 30. And this is what it says. From whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it? The waters harden like stone and the surface of the deep is frozen. I had read that passage 
years ago and I hadn't thought about it twice until now. I'm going to read to you from USA Today, Friday, February 19th, 2021. It said, the winter storm that brought misery to the south this week continued to dump snow and ice across the mid-Atlantic and northeast on Friday, just as millions of Texans grappled with the aftermath of the deadly winter blast. Although power outages numbered around 183,000 in Texas on Friday, way down from the 4 million earlier on in the week, the crisis was not over due to the lack of safe drinking water in many areas. Authorities ordered 7 million people, a quarter of the population of the nation's second largest state, to boil tap water before drinking it, following the record low temperatures that damaged infrastructure and pipes. The extreme weather was blamed for the deaths of at least 57 people, with a growing toll of those who perished, notice the words, simply trying to keep warm. Tragic. They're calling it Winter Storm Yuri. I didn't know that they named Winter Storm. I knew that they named hurricanes, but I didn't know that they named winter storms. If somehow you were on the other side of the planet two weeks ago and you don't know what happened, Texas got hit with a horrible winter storm. It was snow followed by ice, and that caused the state's power grid to buckle. And we've all heard in the news how ERCOT is at the forefront of this. Do you know what ERCOT stands for? It's interesting. ERCOT, E-R-C-O-T, stands for Electric Reliability Council of Texas. There was nothing reliable about the power grid two weeks ago. Rolling power outages turned into parking lot power outages. And they say that they had to do that to keep the whole grid from going down. Because they say that we were close to suffering what has happened in different parts of the world, like in India a few years ago where their whole grid went down and most of the country was, out, was without electricity for about two months. And they say we were that close to that happening here in Texas. Now, you're gonna have to help me this morning because for the last two weeks, I've been pondering something that really bugs me. That same week, two weeks ago when we saw four million plus people go without electricity here in Texas because the power grid was faulty. That same week, we saw images where NASA had landed a vehicle on Mars and sent back hundreds of pictures from Mars and took soil samples 
from a planet a long way away from here. And they say that that project costs $14 billion. And our power grid went down here on Earth where we live. It doesn't quite make sense to me. I think it has to do with priorities. I think it has to do with taking care of your people. How can we send a vehicle a long way away to a different planet, land it, take soil samples, take pictures, and watch it on our TV screen as if it were outside, and we can't provide sufficient power for those who live on this earth? It's a sign of the times, is what it is. It's a sign of the times. Well, you know how that uh, situation with the lack of power led to a lack of water. And many are still without water today. And even those who have water were having to boil it for several days. How does this happen? The question is, for us, who sent the ice? That's why the title of the message this morning is, The Iceman Cometh. Who sent the ice? Have you pondered that in the last few days? Job's question here, rereading our text this morning, from whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth? Who gives it? The writer here of the book of Job is imploring an answer. From whose womb comes the ice? Well, I'll tell you this morning that ice is not produced by humans. No human ingenuity can produce ice. And you say, well, wait a minute. In my freezer, I have ice. I produced it. No, you didn't make the water. You didn't create temperature differences. You didn't create the ability to change a substance from one liquid form to solid form. Who creates the ice? No finite ingenuity. Only God is capable of making ice. The Bible says as much. Job chapter 37, verse 10. Read this with me. Job chapter 37, verse 10. By the breath of God, ice is given. And the broad waters are frozen. Only God can produce ice. Only God can produce heat. Only God can produce cold. So whatever happens in this world is allowed by God. Now here's an interesting theological question. Did God send the ice storm? Or did God allow the ice storm? Because both the Bible, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy say that God never created a thorn. God never created a thistle. God never created pain. But he allows it. To fulfill his divine purposes. 
I'm going to allow you to grapple in your own mind with why God allowed it. Because only you can answer that question. I can tell you why he allowed it for me. But only you can answer why he allowed suffering for you. Because you're the only one who can answer that honestly. Because as long as we are at a distance from God, we're going to suffer. Until we come into the place he wants us to be. Let me say that again because some of you are looking at me. Can't tell exactly how you're looking because you're wearing masks, but I have an idea. God allows you and I to suffer and to be in a difficult situation and not have what we're used to having because we're not quite where we should be with him. Now, some good saint in here this morning or someone watching will say, oh, I'm doing pretty good spiritually. I read my Bible. I pray. I return a faithful tithe. I give a good offering. I serve I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, but you're not where you should be. You're not exactly what you should be. If you were that good, you wouldn't be here. A chariot of fire would have come for you and taken you to heaven. But if you woke up this morning in this world, it's because you're still a sinner. And all of this that we're seeing, COVID-19, social injustice, political unrest, eye storms, all of that is because God is trying to grab our attention before it's too late. Some of you have a problem with that, but that's okay. I wasn't called here to give you a sugar-coated message. I was called here to ask you to wake up. By the breath of God, ice is given. January of 2001, Canada's first ice hotel was open. The ice hotel is made of 12,000 tons of ice. It has 30,000 square feet. It has ceilings of 18 feet in height, walls that are 7 feet thick. Furnishings carved out of ice blocks. It has 32 rooms for guests. It even has an ice cinema in it. It has a lobby with a chandelier carved out of ice that weighs one ton. If you get too cold when you're staying in the ice hotel, there are jacuzzis and fireplaces. Now, don't ask me to explain how there can be hot jacuzzis and fireplaces in an ice hotel. If you get too cold at night on your ice bed, they have plenty of blankets for you to cover up with. There's only one problem with the ice hotel. Reservations are limited. You can only get a reservation at the ice hotel between December 1st and April 1st. Why? Because after that, the ice starts to melt. You see, God is in control of the ice. 
As marvelous as an ice hotel is, and that man can create furniture out of ice, and fireplaces out of ice, and chandeliers out of ice, man can't sustain the ice. Not even with machines that blow temperatures at sub-zero degrees. When April 1st comes, the ice will melt. Because God is in control. Two weeks ago, God sent the ice. And after a week of temperatures below 32, God sent the sun and warm temperatures. And if you look outside now, there's no trace of the hardship that we passed. You see how easily we forget that God is in control. I often say that the problem with us humans is that when we sin, we don't die. You see, God told them if they ate from the forbidden tree, that they would die. But Satan came along and said, well, you see, you can eat from the tree and you won't die. And sinners have believed that ever since. Because we don't. We sin, and because God is merciful, we still live beyond our sin. Praise God for his mercy. But we don't know how to handle that. Because it leads us to dip again in the sin, and dip again in that sin, and dip again in that rejection of the Spirit of God, because I don't die immediately. Let me see how far I can go before it catches up with me. Psalms chapter 147, verse 17. Notice this. Psalms chapter 147. Psalm 147, verse 17. You have to read this with me. Notice what it says. He cast out, what does it say? His hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? Did you catch that? Let me read it again. For those who don't have their Bibles this morning. Psalms 147 verse 17. He cast out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? It's his. He creates it. He brings it to be. He decides when it should be hot. He decides when it should be cold. He decides when we should have ice. He decides when we should have heat. If you don't depend on God, at some point you're going to get caught up in that. We do not control nature. God does. How easily we forget that. You remember the story of the storm and the disciples, how they freaked out because of the elements? Remember that story? They were in a little boat on the sea. Mark chapter 4, verse 37 to 39. You and I have heard that story many times, but I want to point something out to you this morning. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 37. 
And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was filling up with water. And all the while in the midst of this storm, notice what the Bible says, but he, Christ, was in the stern of the boat, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, don't you care? We're about to die. Then he arose, and notice the word, then he arose and rebuked. The word rebuked in Greek means he put in its place the wind and the waves. And he said what? Peace be still. In the midst of the storm, they were freaking out, but Jesus was fast asleep. Why? Because he controls nature. And they started screaming, saying, they got mad at God. I'm sure that some of us got mad at God when we went without electricity. I'm sure that some of us got mad at God when we went without water. Why are you allowing me to do, go through this? Because you see, as Christians, we get to the point where we think God is at our beck and call. God, I want this. Get it for me. God, I need that. Do it for me. God, I don't want to go through this. Fix it. God is not a genie to fix our problems. All God is interested in is if we're going to make it to the kingdom or not. Understand it. He's not interested in you being comfortable. All he's interested in is that you make it to heaven to live with him eternally. And if it costs suffering, then he's going to send it. We want to be constantly comfortable. We want no pain. We want no suffering. We want nothing to go against us. And God's not worried about any of that. All he wants is for you to be with him eternally in heaven. And if you don't get it the easy way, he'll send the hard way. That old hymn, some of you my age may remember it. Master, the tempest is raging. Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is overshadowed with darkness. No shelter or hope in sight. Carest thou not that we perish? Thou canst thou lie asleep? When the winds and the waves are thus threatening, a grave the angry sea. The winds and the waves, they obey his will. Peace be still. Whether the wrath of the storm toss the sea, or demons, or men, or whatever it may be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of the ocean. They all shall sweetly obey. Peace be still. So I was thinking this past week, as we are in the throes of COVID-19, more than 500,000 people in this country, dead. 
few weeks ago, we saw the unthinkable happen at the nation's capital. My father, who rests in Jesus, had he been alive to see what people were doing to the nation's capital building, he would have lost his mind. Because my father was huge on respect. Even if you don't agree with someone, you respect them. That's out the door today. No one respects anyone. Not even common courtesy. And to see people ramrodding their way into the nation's capital building. No regard for the people in uniform. I don't care where you stand politically. Some things are always right and some things are always wrong. And then they have people after the fact defending them. People who serve this nation saying, oh, if you only knew him, he's good. Sometimes it's best just not to say anything. Man understands his finality, even if it takes difficulty to push us to that point. I remember the words of the poet Byron, my days are in yellow leaf, the flowers and fruits of life are gone, the worm and the canker and grief are mine alone. The poet Thoreau, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Going back to the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 30. Our key text today, Job 38, verse 30. The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. I'm sure that you saw, like I saw in the news one evening two weeks ago, I saw that image that I won't forget anytime soon. Somewhere here in Dallas in an underground parking garage, there was a car that was parked there, and the water pipe above it froze and then broke loose, and the water cascaded down on that vehicle, forming a not a waterfall, a ice fall. The water coming out of the pipe, cascading, froze. And it was frozen in space. And then the water over the car was frozen as well. And I thought about this, where the Bible says, the surface of the deep is frozen in its place. What happens when things like this happen? We become gripped by fear. When we lose control of the situation around us, we become gripped by fear. And even the best of the saints start to waffle. Were you of any spiritual help to anyone during this storm? I'm not talking about physical help, where you took somebody a case of water, or you took somebody some canned food, or you took somebody some 
logs to burn in the chimney. I'm talking about spiritual hell. Where somebody was fainting out of grief and your presence brought the presence of heaven to them and sustained them. Because that's why you're a Christian. You're not a Christian to show off who you are when everything is fine. You're a Christian to show who you are when everything is falling apart. Anybody can look good standing behind a pulpit when everything is fine. Look good when everything is falling apart all around you. I remember the story that I read many years ago about the frontier days of this nation when people were moving west, going from east to west in this country. The gold rush. And the story is told of a man who was traveling from the east to the west and he got to the Mississippi River and it was in the dead of winter and the river had frozen over. And he thought, well, I'm not going to ever get to the west coast if I wait for the river to thaw out. And he saw some people walking across. He said, well, I'll try it. So he started walking gingerly across the frozen Mississippi. And he began to hear a crack here and a crack there. So he went down to all fours and he's crawling on his knees and hands slowly forward, still hearing a crack here and a crack there. So he went down on his stomach, prone on the ice. and began to just slide himself forward. Because he had heard the stories of the ice cracking and people drowning. But I got to get across. But if it gives way, I'm going to die in these icy waters. And as he's gingerly sliding himself across the ice, there was this huge commotion behind him. And he turned around and looked back, and here comes a man with two horses in a wagon. At high rate of speed, going across the river on the ice. And the sheepish man stood up, brushed off the ice, looked around to see who had been looking, and then ran the rest of the way to the other side of the river. That's the way we act sometimes. We walk briskly in Christ when everything is going great. But then when we lose power, or the water leaves, or there's no more money in the bank account, or the spouse is threatening to divorce us, then we start to creep spiritually and sometimes come to a stop. Because Satan has used the conditions around us to paralyze us spiritually. You see, just as the warming influence of the sun of righteousness creates spiritual health, the constant exposure to the frigid winds of this world can create spiritual hypothermia. We all heard about the little 11-year-old boy from Conroe as well. A little 11-year-old Christian Pavon Pinier 
who died of hypothermia sleeping in his own bed. Their mobile home there in Conroe, Texas, lost power for several days, no heat. And here was Christian lying in his own bed with a pile of blankets on him. He didn't wake up the next morning. And his mother, Maria Lisa Pineda, she said when he didn't get up early the next morning, she didn't think twice of it because he was known for sleeping in. But when she finally went to him, quote, he was cold and he was dead. You see, it doesn't matter how many blankets you have on. It doesn't matter what you have around you. If you're constantly exposed to the cold, hypothermia will get you. And the same thing spiritually. If you and I come to church, as spiritually motivating as the service here is at Garland Faith Community, and I'm a witness of it, I can be spiritually charged here on Sabbath morning, but if I go out during the rest of the week and expose myself to the frigid, corrupting winds of this world, I will not make it. It's not enough to come into the warming place and get warmed up on Sabbath morning, then go back out and enjoy the frigid winds for the rest of the week. Be careful who you hang out with. Careful what you're watching on the internet. Be careful the music that you listen to in your car. Be careful the jokes that you stand around and listen to. Because whatever doesn't bring you closer to God takes you farther away from Him. I better wind up because I. Even through the mask, see some looks of hunger. But I have to share this with you in closing. If you haven't figured out by now, what I'm trying to say is that God is allowing these things to happen around us. Because we haven't advanced to where we should be at this stage. As a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, as a leader in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, how do I know that we're not where we should be yet? And it's not because I'm judging you. I'm talking about myself. I'm not where I should be at this stage, after these many years of knowing Christ. And if I'm not where I should be, I just know by human nature that you aren't either. Because there's no one that's better than anyone else, and there's no one that's worse than anyone else. We're all in the same situation, spiritually. We may be doing good, but we're not quite where we should be. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Christ would have come by now. But he's delaying to see if we will heed the call. 
We forget that God is a jealous God. The Bible says so. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. You don't have to look it up. I'll read it for you. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Oh, my God, he's all love. He's all compassion. He's all grace. He is. But there are moments when he gets jealous. He tolerates for a long time, but then there comes a moment when he says, enough is enough. And he's within his right to do that. Because he forgives my sin day after day, hour after hour. He forgives me and forgives me and forgives me and forgives me. So whenever he comes to a point where he says enough is enough, He's justified. Psalms. Let me read first Deuteronomy 6 verse 15. Deuteronomy 6 verse 15. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Beware, notice, lest the anger of the Lord be aroused against you. That's significant. Because the text says... Be careful that the anger of the Lord not be aroused against you. What that means is, by nature, he's loving and forgiven. But he can be aroused. You're not hearing me. Not getting it. Let me say it a different way. God is all love, all compassion, all joy, all forgiveness all grace, but he can be provoked to be totally the opposite. And he's justified when he is. You see, if someone's in a bad mood every day, there's no excuse. They're just wicked every day. But if someone is love and compassion and tolerance and turn the other cheek hundreds of times, if one day they become irate, they are justified. It's because you pushed them to the very limit. God can be pushed to that limit. That's why I think we are going through COVID-19. That's why I think that we have these freakish storms. God is trying to grab us by the shoulders and shake us and say, come on. How much more do you need? Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. For I, God, am jealous for you. With a godly jealousy. Let me explain it this way. How many of us in here are fathers? Okay. How many of us fathers have daughters? Okay, you're going to understand what I'm going to say right here. Let's say you, father, 
You come home after a long day's work and one evening you come in, you open your front door and there's this stranger sitting on your couch in your living room, snuggled up to your 15-year-old daughter. And this guy looks like he must be 40. And he's all snuggled up to your 15-year-old daughter. And he starts talking about they have agreed and decided they're going to elope. And go to a country that allows children to marry without the consent of their parents. And this 40-year-old is telling you, her father, that they're going to leave tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Now, assuming that you can contain yourself even enough to assess the situation, because I wouldn't be able to. Well, there's men better than I am, so I'm assuming some of you all would be able to contain yourself to not pull him out of the room by the neck to begin with. You would say to yourself, what is happening here? I have given my daughter since birth a roof over her head, food on the table, clothes for her to wear, provided for her education, provided for her medical, held her in my arms when she cried over a broken heart. I have cared for her every need, and somehow she has this warped concept of what love is. That she's willing to elope with a 40-year-old who she just met on the internet and turn her back on me, her father, who has cared for her since birth. So in my jealousy for my daughter, I'm going to get this guy by the neck and pull him out of the room and make sure he understands that he's never to set foot in my home again. And secondly, I'm going to sit down with my daughter and labor with her to understand what the true concept of relationship and love is all about. That's what God is doing right now in the world around us. Now, some of you didn't quite catch the connection there, but you will on Wednesday or Thursday. God is sick and tired of the citizens of this world snuggling up to Satan who has no good on his mind for us while God has been the caregiver for us since birth. That is why he has us by the shoulders and is trying to shake some sense into us. Don't you see that that guy wants your destruction and that I love you? And I don't only love you here, but I love you so much I want you to spend eternity with me beyond the clouds. And if COVID-19 and ice storms and social injustice and political unrest is what it takes to get my attention, he will continue to do it. You see, you know when we'll know when the changeover takes place? I'm ending with this. Don't worry, those of you who are hungry. 
You know when we'll know when the changeover takes place? Because up until now, God is shaking everyone's shoulders in love to get us ready. When you and I start shaking shoulders to get our neighbors and our family ready, then you'll know that the end is near. As long as the church is asleep, the end is not near. We can preach about all those beasts all we want. But until we start acting like God, the end is not near. Once the church starts to do God's work as if he were here, then the end will come. May God's blessing be with you as you go through the days to come. There will be trials that you and I still have to face. There will be situations worse than what we've already been through. But the one thing that we do know is God will not suffer us to go through anything that he doesn't provide an outlet for. May the Lord's blessing be with you. May you continue to place your trust in him. But most importantly, my dear friends, it's time for us to start living like those who belong in heaven as opposed to those who belong on this earth. Let us pray. Dear God, your word has been spoken and our hearts are open. Dear God, we, we know we're not where we're supposed to be. And you're calling us in different ways to allow your Holy Spirit to change our lives and make us like Jesus and to encourage us to go to others and give them the hope that you have given us. Lord, we, we don't know exactly what steps to take, but we can surrender. So God, we surrender our hearts to you once again. In Jesus' name, amen.